Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is the Bee Podcast. Welcome, friends. Let's get to it. Today, we hear from Audrey Carter. She seems to be living a life out of the movies. Seriously, her story is just amazing. As a kid, I always dreamed about traveling, backpacking, meeting new people, and having a family. And Audrey has checked all of these boxes off and more. I'm excited for you guys to hear all the adventures that this girl has taken. A true testament to going with the flow and trying new things. It's really paid off. Listen in as Audrey shares her life story thus far. Hi, Audrey. How are you? I'm so glad that you're here. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So Audrey, why don't you just start by telling us about who you are, your family, your hobbies, your career? Yeah. I um, grew up in Ottumwa, Iowa. And after graduating from high school, I went to St. Ambrose University in Davenport. Go Bees. Um, really, after graduating college, had a very nomadic lifestyle. But now I live in Lawrenceville, Georgia. It's just outside of Atlanta. I've uh, been married to my husband, Anthony, for about five years. No, it is five years. And um, yes. we have a two-year-old son, Trevor. That's awesome. Lots of wonderful yeah. things happening. Yeah. Right outside of Hotlanta. That's great. We do not venture into Atlanta too often, though. Too much traffic for me. Iowa girl at heart. Don't like to venture into the big city too much, but I do take advantage of their aquarium. It's like one of the best in the world. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, TJ and I went through Atlanta one time on our, I guess maybe twice on our way back from a vacation in Mexico. And we were both terribly sick because we didn't realize that, yeah, you're not supposed to drink the water in Mexico, which we didn't, but we still showered and brushed our teeth with the water in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Yeah oversight. So we were terribly sick on our way back home. We're like, this is awful. So that's my memory of Atlanta. Yeah. That's a lovely experience. So sorry that I just shared that with you, but (laughs) we'll move on. We will move right on. You talked about how you were kind of a nomad after college. So what was your major and what did life look like for you in college at St. Ambrose? So I originally started as a pre-med major. I had my heart set on being a vet. I even worked um, at Dr. Doggett's vet clinic in Ottumwa. And just that was my goal ever since I was really young and started as a biology major and kept job shadowing at vets when I was in college. And I just could not stand the side of blood. Like I would basically pass out every time. And my oh no, Kelsey Smithheart's mom was always like, oh, you'll get used to it. And I, I was never getting used to it. Um, but I kept with my major in biology and then I was like, oh, maybe I don't want the responsibility of being a vet. So I was like, maybe I'll try nursing and switch to nursing for a hot minute. Still blood. Still blood. Yes. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe with people it would be different. I don't know. Sure. And then, um, 
a study abroad opportunity opened up my sophomore year and there's a nursing program over in Carlo, Ireland. So I went over to Ireland for a semester, came back and was like, nope, medical career is not my thing. And so I switched to marketing, had no idea what I was going to do. And in one of my business classes, the GM of the local baseball team came in and talked to us. And I talked to him afterwards, got myself an internship. They're the Cardinals affiliate at the time, which my dad and I are huge, huge Cardinals fans. So I was just really excited to be like around the Cardinals prospects. Did that for a semester um, and then just got really heavily involved in um, all of our student activities and worked with the River Bennett's another year and then started working for the local hockey team and decided that I wanted to work in sports after that, which is very competitive, but a lot of fun. Yeah. So were sports, you played tennis in high school, right? No, I actually played golf and golf, I ran That's hockey. right. Yes. And I actually did do one semester of a uh, track in college and I did dance in college. Oh, get it girl. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> going to a really small school. I just like walked onto the dance team. It was just so much fun to um, be a part of that and do the practices with the girls and meet new girls on campus. And then um, the track coach saw me and my friend running all the time and asked us to be a part of the team. I had to do this steeplechase. Do you know what that is? I don't. It, it feels like a horse race. You have to, um, I can't even remember how long it is, like 1600 meters or something. And you have to jump over this big hurdle and then you cut in um, past the goalpost, jump on the hurdle and jump over water. It's so, I was so horrible at that it. Sounds did bizarre. You do that sounds okay. bizarre. So I got so fair. <laughs> our team. So go me. Yes, I'm a college athlete. <laughs> yes, you are. That's fantastic. That's so cool. Right, really, my, my dad is just such a big baseball fan that he instilled loving baseball in me. And um, yeah, I was really interested in that ever since. So sports had kind of always been a part of your story then. Um, and, and all of those things, which is really kind of interesting and in how it led you to where you are. Um, and now what do you do, Audrey? Now I'm a flight attendant, so I use absolutely nothing from my college career. But listen, flight attendants are my favorite part of flights. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, they are. I always, yes, give me the Diet Coke with the ice. Thank you. Yeah, that's the worst drink to pour, by the way. Diet Coke is? Yes, it, it fizzes like nonstop. So if you if you put the ice in first, you got to wait like five minutes, exaggerating, obviously, but right. for the foam to go down and the Diet Coke. Oh my gosh. All oh, the struggles that. on the airplane. That's crazy. But I mean, it's if it overflows, yeah, I love this. I want Everything to know more insight. Yeah. This is great. Okay. So Audrey, life after college, you talked about how you were kind of nomadic. So you have this marketing major or this marketing degree. What, what does life look like for you? So I was determined to work in sports and all of my friends in sports told me about this huge career fair that's done in conjunction with the winter meetings in December. 
um, the winter meetings is this huge baseball conference where they set the salary caps for baseball players. Um, had no idea that minor league baseball also does this huge career fair at the same time. Problem was I graduated in May and this career fair wasn't until December. Um, so I actually went backpacking through Europe for a whole month, which was awesome. I mean, obviously I already loved traveling when I was younger. So I just feel like flight attendant was a really great job for me, but didn't know it at the time. After that, I took another internship in Kansas City with a little independent baseball team there, not the Royals, but I did interview with the Royals, didn't get the position. Um, so moved home, was a receptionist at pediatric dentist office, Dr. Evans, and was home for a couple months and then went to this winter meeting. Um, it was in Dallas, it was three days long. There's over 500 applicants. It was like the most intimidating thing I've ever done. You literally take your resume, put it in a box to interview for a job. And then you come back later to see if they posted your name saying that they want to interview with you. If they do, you have to go into this huge conference room with all these other people, all these other teams. You sit down at a table and you kind of do like speed interviewing with them. Like a speed um, Yeah. And I got, I actually got four job offers because I had so much experience in minor league baseball and just in minor league sports in general, accepted an offer in Charlotte and North Carolina. And three weeks later, my mom and I moved to Charlotte or she moved me to Charlotte, North Carolina. And oh my gosh. And an apartment without seeing it ahead of time and didn't know anyone except for the people I'd interviewed with very briefly before I accepted the job. So then what was your job title? So I was client services intern. Um, so I worked with the team and the sponsors. So our big sponsor at the time was like BB&T Bank and the hospital and um, Coke. Let's talk for a second about that conference room with all of those people. I mean, what was going through your head when you were doing all that? Oh, I was terrified. I was so intimidated because... There were so many other people that just seemed like they were well, like so much more prepared for this interview. I had no idea how big of a deal it was. But at the same time, it was a lot of fun because you met a lot of other people in the same situation as you. And I actually still stay in touch with a couple of people that I met at that conference. Um, some are still in sports and some just have moved on. But um, I met up with one couple of years ago at a, on a layover, we went to a Tampa Bay Rays game together. It was fun other than being totally intimidated, but. Well, right. But like the relationships that you have since then and for job interview or for, um, for offers, that's substantial. So. Yeah. So I guess I had, I had a reason to be confident myself. So then there you are in Charlotte not knowing anyone. So, so talk about how your, that process of not knowing anyone kind of merged into your life now and like meeting the people that you met. Yeah. So actually after the very first game of season, 
the groundskeeper had a bonfire behind the stadium. There was just like an empty field back there that he'd managed. And at this bonfire, I met this guy that I thought was on the grounds crew. Turns out he was actually one of our pitchers on the team. And the front office staff really wanted us to hang out. And we, um, that happened to be Anthony, and we've been together ever since. After that very first game, of season my first year with that team so that was in 2012. That's awesome and so you're thinking that you're talking to this groundskeeper and really it's the picture of mm-hmm. yeah so so how did that conversation go like oh you are actually oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially because when you, you work in minor league sports you're not really supposed to associate with the players I mean you can say hi but it's frowned upon to to date, be yeah, romantically yeah. involved. Yeah, sure. You know, mix, you know, work with work and play. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, which, but look at you, Audrey, rule follower, not following the rules. Look at you. I love that. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about your first date. So you guys met, um, and you've been together, and you're happily married. But what, what was your first date like, and how did that kind of, how did that go? It was great, actually. We went to Dave Matthews Band concert. Oh my gosh, that sounds awesome. It was amazing. And since we, I mean, Anthony didn't really know that many people in Charlotte either because they're only there for a few months out of the year. Um, So we ended up hanging out together all the time. Um, That first year he was in Charlotte and we would go hiking a lot to Crowder's Mountain. there's a really fun nightlife scene in Charlotte that was fairly close to where he lived. So we'd go there a lot and yeah, just had a really fun first few months of dating. Yeah. That sounds just wonderful and so different than Atemla. So good. <laughs> That's, awesome. That's great. Then when did things kind of get serious for you two? Um, Were you still working there? Were you still near each other? Yeah, so we, I ended up working with that baseball team in Charlotte for three seasons. But after that first season of us dating, Anthony got traded to the Red Sox and their AAA is in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. I really didn't think he was going to call me again, like when season ended. He actually went and played in Puerto Rico. He wanted me oh. to come visit him, but I said no, because I really didn't think he was serious. And unfortunately, baseball players just get that bad reputation. I hadn't known any personally, so I didn't know how he'd feel about like meeting my family. So when my parents came to visit, I didn't even introduce them to him that summer. <laughs> um, but sure enough, we stayed in touch and he came to visit me again before his season started. And then we FaceTimed all the time, did long distance that next year. But I was lucky and got to go visit him a couple times in Pawtucket. And then he his team played in Charlotte a couple times and we got to see each other. So just a lot of long distance, but helped us appreciate the time we did get together. Yeah. Which sounds awesome that you were able to kind of sustain that because sometimes that is the deal breaker is the distance. So then when did things get serious enough for engagement? 
so I didn't want to leave the Knights until my third season there because we, that was the team in Charlotte. The Knights is what they were called. They opened a brand new stadium right in downtown Charlotte. They call it Uptown, which was huge resume builder if I ever wanted to continue in sports, just being a huge part of opening that stadium and just really exciting because the stadium was ranked the most beautiful stadium in the nation. Uh, the first year it was open, we sold out almost every single game, if not every single game, I can't remember now. Just a lot of fun press and excitement in the city. But after that first season in Uptown Charlotte, I decided we um, didn't want to be serious and working in Charlotte wasn't living in Charlotte wasn't really where we wanted to see ourselves end up because Anthony was from Georgia and we wanted to be close to family. So I decided to quit and start following Anthony around. That's in, uh, this was in 2014. And Anthony was actually playing in Japan at the time. Oh, wow. So I got on a plane, went to Japan, expected to be there for just a couple of weeks because it was at the end of season. And they ended up making the playoffs and kept going in the playoffs. And I was there for a month and a half, which was great. And then super fun to be there without working, you know, had all the time to explore, really get to know the culture. Then we came back in December. We went on another hike, which was our big thing when we first started dating. And he proposed on the hike. That's awesome. And so fun. I mean, straight up out of the movies, it sounds like that just sounds like so relaxing and just fulfilling. Good for you. That's fantastic. I don't know. I still have to pinch myself with all the places that we've been. And yeah. Really like the timing of everything has worked out really well. We're big believers that God's timing is everything. So I just, it's, I don't know why he's blessed us so much, but we have been really lucky with Anthony's career and my career just lining up really well. So I guess, when did you get married and where did you start your life together? Were you still kind of traveling? So after we got engaged, we moved in with his friend here in Georgia, which is where we decided eventually we wanted to be. Um, but since he was still playing baseball and I was going to follow him around, it didn't really make sense to set roots down yet. So I followed him to spring training that year, which was with he had signed with the Cubs in 2015, um, which everyone gave my dad such a hard time about because I was engaged to a Cubs player and their spring training was in Phoenix that year. And they were supposed to play in Des Moines. So I was so excited that I was going to be able to live in Des Moines for the summer. He was injured and had to stay back a couple weeks for rehab. But I was so anxious to get to Des Moines that I found myself a nanny job, found an apartment, moved myself to Des Moines without him. And literally two weeks after I was there, he got released because he had a season ending injury. So that's when I decided I needed a career that was a little bit more flexible. The good thing with baseball is we have a really good social media family. And there was a flight attendant or a baseball wives page that I was a part of. And another flight attendant posted on there about 
that being a job opportunity. And I was so lost at the time what I was going to do. I was like, oh, I'll just apply for this. Like, we'll see. That sounds cool. And applied and here I am. (laughs) So you applied just on like a whim thinking that, I mean, this would be cool, but also maybe not. Can you talk about the application and hiring process? Yeah, it was a lot longer than I ever anticipated. I applied in August. Uh, This is of 2015 before we got married. And maybe a month after I'd applied, I got asked to do a video recorded interview, which I was kind of expecting someone to be on the other end. But no, it's just a computer comes up, asks you a question, you have 10 seconds to prepare, and then you have three minutes to answer, and it records you. They ask you five of those. Really intimidating, but you can go back and change your answer if you want. Um, And then I waited about another month, and somebody called me making sure I was still interested. Delta is really particular about tattoos and piercings. They don't want any tattoos showing or any um, facial piercings other than earrings um, in your ears and want to make sure I was flexible, willing to live anywhere and flexible and working weekends or holidays. And then after that, they offered me a face-to-face interview in Atlanta. The face-to-face was with about 50 people. So not quite as many people as the other interview with baseball, but still really intimidating. Um, You go in and do a one-on-one with two interviewers. And then you also do like a group interview. And the whole time there's people along like the edge of the wall that are watching you just to see how you interact with other people, what your mannerisms are. So it's really intimidating. It was like a whole day process, this face-to-face interview. At the end, they had called about 15 of us back into a separate room telling us that they needed to check our fingerprints or something to go and file to be hired. Well, we didn't know we were hired at the time. They were just saying they had paperwork for us to fill out. And when we got into this room, they told us on the spot that we were hired. So it was really exciting. People were crying. I was just like, oh, great. Like, this is something else I can do. I didn't realize how big of a deal it was at the time until I think I went through training. That's when I realized how awesome it was to be hired because I learned that Delta got 150,000 applications that year for only 1,500 jobs. Oh, wow. So it's very, very competitive. Yeah, big deal. That's awesome. So this was just kind of on a whim. And did you think that this would be like a long-term position for you? What were you thinking initially? No. And I had no idea if people even made being a flight attendant a career. Like I didn't even know any flight attendants. And a lot of times you don't see older flight attendants on the plane. So I just assume it was like something that would be Um, a filler until Anthony retired. And I don't know, I went to like a nine to five job, but now I love it. And I can't imagine doing anything else. 
let's talk about training for this. What did your training look like? It was honestly almost harder than college, which again, I was not expecting. You know, when you think of a flight attendant, you think of them doing the service on the airplane and pouring drinks and giving you snacks. Like, obviously that's not very hard. So why would training be that difficult? But really we are there for your safety. So our training is very intense. We have to learn all the different aircraft types, make sure that we know how to open all the doors. We do really extensive evacuation drills to make sure we can get you off the airplane in 90 seconds or less. I had 20 kids in my class. We had two instructors. It was six weeks long, six days a week for 12 hours. Now we didn't always go 12 hours a day. Um, usually we get done a little bit quicker, but we would have a classroom setting where we learn all the different aircraft that Delta has. I think there's like 10 different aircraft that we fly changes all the time. We did learn a little bit about the service. We learned about our policies for like service animals, emotional support animals, um, unaccompanied minors that might be on the plane. We learned about different procedures when you start a flight and just when different things happen, um, emergency situations. We had a lot of hands-on experience. We actually do most of our, like half of our training is in in an aircraft mock-up. So you're like sitting in aircraft seats. So it feels real when these emergencies happen. The instructors will actually... We did do like basic CPR or basic first aid and learn CPR. So our instructors would actually like go out in the aisle and like fall down and pretend to have a heart attack. So we'd have to work on like real people. Now we wouldn't actually give them CPR, but we'd hook up the AED on them and things like that. Um, We also learned in a swimming pool we learned how to evacuate in the water. We call that oh. itching. Um, had to actually inflate the life vest. So we know how to do that. And then we did two OE flights, their operational experience flights, um, where we got to go and do service. But we only got to do two before they like throw you in full time, which is crazy to me. But And then we do do training, not as intense but every 18 months we do one day of training just to refresh on cpr is the big one that we do every single time and then they do about half the doors one training session and then half the doors the next session just to make sure that we're up to date right yeah you can't get rusty on that job because people's lives are at stake So talk about the people that you met in training, because it sounded like you were with each other quite a bit. Yeah. And a lot of them are my really close friends still to this day. We have a group chat that it's weird to not hear from them every single day. We all came from such different backgrounds. One was working at a bank. One, this is her second career. So she was 50 going through training and you know, just wanted a fun job for her retirement. And another one was working in uh, 
really nice hotel in New Orleans. And after training, you know, we kind of all went our separate ways. And unfortunately, I haven't even, I think I've flown with one of them one time. Oh. But it's nice to all stay in touch, especially because there's little things about the job that you just want to vent to someone that understands it. Mm-hmm. So it's been great to have those relationships throughout our career. You definitely do need those people that, I mean, because I feel like if you were to come home and to talk and like talk to Anthony, does he get it? Or is it just like, is he just like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like he does now, but definitely not in the beginning. Very, very cool. So then the relationships that you've had, you were able to kind of keep in touch with them. What did graduation uh, from this training look like? I remember on Facebook seeing <clears throat> pictures when you, I mean, I thought it was so cool. I was like, oh my gosh, Audrey is a flight attendant. That is the coolest thing. How does, even, how does someone even do that? But it was so cool. I mean, I just think of like Pan Am when I think of flight attendants, which is totally superficial. But um, what did it look like? But they really hyped it up like that. It was, honestly, it was almost cooler than my college graduation. And they had the senior vice president of in-flight operations or in-flight services come in and give a big speech. They had us all in a big conference room. They brought each of us up on stage, introduced us. They flew my parents in, which was really cool. they gave us a big brunch afterwards and then they let your family or whoever you picked pin your wings on, which is a big thing. We call it like the pinning ceremony. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really big deal and really exciting. The whole event was, um, very high energy. Delta is just such a great company. I mean, they make you feel so welcome and, um, they really are like so excited for you to succeed and, start we call it get out on the line to start working Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah it was a lot of fun that sounds just kind of magical I'm so thrilled for you so can you talk about your first flight do you remember your first flight yeah it was to India well I don't remember my first flight exactly but I remember my first layover was in Indianapolis which I mean I was in new hire. I was so excited to be there. It was freezing cold, but I spent all morning walking around. They actually have really cool monuments throughout the city. And then it so happened that my best friend from college was driving from um, somewhere else in Indiana and happened to go through Indianapolis that day. So I got to meet her for lunch. So it's like a really cool first trip that I got to see someone I knew and got to see a brand new city. Yeah. And so you are young and excited and you're seeing all these new places. What, I mean, do you have a say in where you do and don't go? Um, Sort of. So I want to back up a little and talk about right after graduation, what happens. So while you're in training, they assign you a base city which is where you're going to start and end every single one of your trips. And our class got to pick from New York, Boston, Detroit, Minneapolis, and LA. 
I picked Minneapolis because I had no idea where Anthony was going to be at the time. So I was like, well, Minnie is like in the middle of the country. If he's on the East Coast, West Coast, like not too far of a flight. Plus, it's really close to Iowa. So I can like jump down to Des Moines on a really quick flight if I want to see my parents. And um, we had two days to get from Atlanta to our bases, which was super intimidating as well. But they did put you up in a hotel the first two nights. They gave us a half day of base orientation. They show you where the lounge is, how you get through security there, where you can park, things like that. Um, but then you're like on your own. So if you're gonna live in your base, you have to find housing, you know, within two days, basically. I mean, you could pay for a hotel, but the flight attendant starting salary is not that affordable to live in a hotel over and over. Um, a lot of people live in what's called crash pads where you have like three sets of bunk beds in one tiny room and then you okay. share a bathroom because no, you're not. Nope, nope. The <laughs> all, yeah, it's insane. <laughs> I could not do that. Um, that's really big in New York. I don't know that it's technically allowed, but that's just what the flight industry does. And the chances of all six of you being there at the same time is basically zero because of how crazy our schedules Years are. Good. Yeah. Okay. Um, I got really lucky and I rented a room from another flight attendant that happened to be in the lounge and just was talking to him. Um, a lot of people, I actually lived in base and then would just like go visit Anthony when I had off days. But a lot of people do what we call commuting. So commuting to most people is like driving an hour to work. But these people that commute live in, say, Austin, Texas, fly to start their trip in Atlanta. It's insane oh to gosh. me that people live literally all over the world to be a flight attendant. As long as you're in your base, when you need to be to start your trip, that's all Delta cares about. So anyway, for our schedules, yeah, it's all based on seniority, but then you you can go in and preference your days off. Like that's pretty much what I focus on right now because I'm not getting these great like five day layovers and Greece or anything. So I preference my days off and then you can preference trip length. We have like one day trips up to three or six day trips. There's not too many of those. Mostly they're one, two or three day trips. And then you can preference layover cities. So I actually would preference Des Moines and get those trips. A lot of people didn't want to go to Iowa, but I was very right. excited to go. <laughs> um, you can preference red eyes or international trips. And then we get our schedules a month at a time. I work maybe 15 to 18 of those days. Six of those are what we call A days. So they're access days or on-call days where I have to be available from 12 a.m. day one to 11.59, day three. Those are scheduled in blocks of three days. Um, those are pretty restrictive, but you can preference like what you want to fly during those days. The other days you can swap with other flight attendants or you can swap in our online system. And like, I just swapped something today. I'm doing a trip next week and a better one 
popped up on the board. So I just swapped it really fast. It's crazy. It's super flexible. Um, we have about 6,000 flight attendants in Atlanta that I can swap with. So just if you find someone you want to switch with. What does a normal day, let's say, I mean, thinking about your family, how do you kind of navigate that with being a mom? So I've been really lucky. I got to take an entire year off when Trevor was born and went back in February of 2020 and only got scheduled for six days in February and six days in March. And then COVID happened Mm -hmm. and Delta gave us all optional leaves. And so then I went back out for four more months and then come back to work full-time, but not really full-time in August. And since we're really overstaffed, I haven't really been working much. So the balance has been pretty easy so far. Um, When Anthony did play in the Dominican in November and December. So when he plays, he's gone 24 seven. I mean, he, it's not like he goes away for a week and comes back. He's living wherever he's playing. So when he was gone those two months, it was a little bit more difficult, but right now our schedules are so light that I got really lucky and Anthony's mom and dad and stepmom watch Trevor when I'm flying and it's been working out really well. I've been flying these trips where I take off at like 9 p.m., go somewhere pretty close. The other day I went to Charlotte. It's a 30 minute flight. We lay over in a hotel for six hours. I get about four hours of sleep and then I come home on the 6 a.m. flight. So I'm, I'm back home in time for breakfast. So it's basically like working a night shift. But That's it, it's so working cool. out really well with our lifestyle. That's so cool. I am so fascinated by this. Have you had any sketchy weather or scary flights that you've been on? Yes. Atlanta is known for a lot of thunderstorms, high winds. So we have had quite a few. We have this particular aircraft um, where you have to sit in the back with like no windows. It's called the tail cone. It's the McDonnell Douglas 8890, which unfortunately we don't have anymore. And then the that's, that's the type of aircraft. that's the type of aircraft. Okay. Yes. So we're sitting in this back with no windows. The engines are right beside you and it's super loud. Sometimes that can be really scary because you feel like you should be on the ground. You should be on the ground and you know there's storms outside. There's lots of turbulence and you can never you can't see if you're close to the ground or not. Um, We did have one particular flight where the captain called us and said to prepare for an emergency landing, but it wasn't that he thought we were gonna like crash. He just said that the wheels weren't coming down properly. So we had to be met by a fire truck and ambulance just in case as a extra precaution. Um, so that was intimidating just, but at the same time, your training really kicks in and you do feel very prepared. I mean, you're as prepared as you can be in situations like that. I have heard of um, some crazy evacuation stories. We actually went to Lagos, Nigeria and picked up a crew that had to evacuate there. Um, but they, like 
I said, they say that the training just kicks in and kind of on autopilot. And thankfully, um, they were able to get everyone off and um, there wasn't any problems with that particular situation. I would say the most scary situations we have are medical events. And those happen a lot more than people realize. A lot of times it's little things like anxiety attacks or people getting sick from the turbulence. Uh, but we did one flight I was going to Paris and we were literally in the middle of the flight. So over the ocean, absolutely nowhere we could go. And a guy's daughter came up and said that he was not responding and we got to him. He was slouched over, not responding at all. Me and the other flight attendant had grabbed the guy to get him on the ground to start CPR because he was not responding. And there was a cardiologist two rows behind him. Oh, praise Jesus. Yeah, it's such a God thing. And he was able to, um, well, as soon as we laid the guy down, he came to, I think, just the blood coming back to his head and laying down. And he was able to walk us through everything we needed to do. And by the time we landed, we didn't even have to divert anywhere. By the time we landed, he just walked off the airplane. It was crazy. But those are really, really scary situations, just not having anywhere to go, you know, like. To- right. What am I supposed to do with this? Thanks a lot, guy. <laughs> this is an act. This is my nightmare. This is actually my nightmare. That's insane. And yeah, not thought about, right. Those medical emergencies. I mean, you're dealing with people on a plane, and from hugely, widely diverse backgrounds in health. <laughs> I mean, wow. And obviously, I mean, our training is only six weeks and we cram in so much. And we're not medical professionals, so there's only so much we can do. So we yeah. do rely on our other passengers very heavily in those situations. And we've been, every time it's happened to me, I've been very lucky, knock on wood, that there have been... Um, medical personnel, like right sitting right next to these people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, so fortunate for you and those people who like that gentleman was unresponsive. I mean, was that, has that been your most memorable flight or do you have a most memorable flight? That Paris one probably was just because it was so scary in the moment, but then ended up so miraculous that that cardiologist was right there and he Mm -hmm. got so much help um but a lot of them are just having famous people on your flight it's just I mean being from Iowa I guess you just aren't used to seeing celebrities and I really do get starstruck and it's been so who have you seen Audrey do tell we had uh Charles Barkley that was a big one oh yeah and he was the nicest guy, talked to us for the longest time. Um, we had Sean Bradley. Do you know who that is? He was I do. there. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's over seven feet tall. And I remember, you know, people, we don't know. You can look up that these people are on the flight, but no one takes the time to do that. So sure. you don't know who's going to be on your flight until they walk on board. Well, Sean Bradley gets on. And he's bent over and his back is, I kid you not, his back is like touching the top of the door of the aircraft. That's crazy. What is happening? Why is this guy, how is this guy so tall? And he sits in the bulkhead of our aircraft, the first seat. 
and his knees are touching the wall. It's such a wide area. It was insane. I've never seen anyone that tall before. And he was really nice too. Um, I also had Brian Latrill. That was a starstruck moment. Brian Latrill. With the Backstreet Boys. <gasps> it was so cool. Oh my gosh. And oh my gosh. I didn't realize it was him at first. And I'm really thankful I did not because I don't think I would have been able to talk to him. But it was right after we had the purple uniforms. We switched in May of... Um, couple years ago and he was he got on and I must have been the first time he saw the purple and was talking to me about it and then I asked the other flight attendant I was like he looks like he was one of the Backstreet Boys I was like did you recognize him and she was older and she said no and I looked him up and sure enough wow my oh uh, my gosh girlfriend had Jason uh, Momoa is that how you shut the front door he's from Iowa Yes, that's right. So that's the great. best people are. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> yeah. So those oh are gosh. really special getting to see, I don't know, these celebrities. Celebrities, for sure. Had like Tyrese in- the other day. Got to know from a drink. Tyrese. He's in Fast and Furious. Um, and he- I know who you're talking about. Yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. And it's so surreal to see these people. It's not like you're, you know, like yeah, it's yeah. Totally it's like totally, totally, yeah. Like normal day-to-day stuff. It's not like you're at like an autograph signing or right. You know, yeah. Just exactly. like, they're just like living their lives and you're yeah. a part of that. Let's talk for a second, because I'm so curious about um, starting a family. Um, you recently, two years ago, had your son. Um, what did your, your and Anthony's schedule, I mean, how, how did you kind of plan that? Did you plan it? We did kind of have to, just because our schedules were so crazy. We had to make sure we were together at the right time and it didn't always work out. It did take us a, a few months, but we are thankful that that's all that it took us. Um, We did have to really talk about what we were going to do, you know, how we were going to take care of Trevor, if I was going to still fly, because we knew that he was going to be gone most of the time. So I had to mentally also be ready to be alone with Trevor a lot of the time and had to be prepared to travel if we did want to see Anthony because obviously Anthony can't come to us um but yeah we were ready we were excited to start the next chapter and a lot of other baseball families have kids and they make it work and just figure out a way to make it work so just joined a lot of uh mom's groups and had a lot of great advice and and you're by family Yeah, and Anthony's and able to being here. Very thankful that we're close by to, and he has tons of aunts and uncles here that have offered to watch him. So we're very blessed. That's wonderful. It takes a village, as they say. I, mm-hmm, I know that's right. I know that's right. So, what does your schedule look like for you now? I am working about four days out of the week, doing a lot of those like Overnight. night, yeah, flights. Um, but tomorrow I actually have my access days, those on-call days, and I have to 
go to the airport and do standby for four hours. That's if like somebody gets a flat tire on the way to work or gets sick like mid rotation, then I have to go and fill in. So we have a few people like every hour of every day that are actually at the airports of our big bases standing by for moments like that. Um, which is pretty crazy that sometimes uh, I'll be on standby for three and a half hours and then they'll call me and tell me to go to Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is a 11 hour flight. And, you know, oh. I was actually packed for the winter because I got called in January a couple years ago and um, didn't even think about how it's their summer in Argentina. That was crazy. It was a, I mean, that was an amazing trip. I don't usually get those great international trips. Those are pretty um, senior trips because they're worth a lot of hours and you get a 30 hour layover in this beautiful city with great food and great people. So that's fantastic. Are you hoping to like have that eventually someday? Do you see yourself doing this for a while? I do. I really think our jobs can be more flexible than a nine to five. I mean, I just took four days off to go home to Iowa this weekend because I could just jump on a flight for free. So I don't have to justify, you know, oh, I spent this much money to go home for the weekend. Like I need to make it a long trip. I do a lot of quick trips to Iowa to see my family. Like I usually see them every month. So I, one cannot imagine getting rid of those benefits, being mm -hmm. able to fly wherever I want and see my girlfriends um, in Nashville and Chicago. And then I really just feel like I'm home more than somebody that works nine to five. Yeah. Especially yeah. doing those night shifts. I mean, it would be a lot of fun to do those international trips, you know, obviously once COVID is over. Right. Um, we have people get these great trips where they go, my friend is already getting these trips to Greece and he goes shopping and gets his skin cream and brings it back. That's just so cool. People go to um, France to get like a certain cheese and like butter in Amsterdam. You know, every place has like this cool stuff that they just, they get these layovers so they can go get these fun uh, food or touristy items. That sounds amazing. But it's not all obviously like that. We have our our bad days as well, just like any job. And we, right. a lot of people don't know, we don't actually get paid until the boarding door is closed. I mean, we get like per diem, but our flight hours are like the only time we get paid. So when we're delayed, you know, we're sitting around the airport not getting paid. So we're just as frustrated as all the other yeah. passengers. All the things that I did not know, but am so fascinated by. I mean, this is this is such a crazy cool experience. What have you learned about yourself through this whole thing? To go with the flow and be flexible. Just the other day, I was supposed to lay over in Nashville and we had a bad storm in Atlanta. No surprise there. And they rerouted us to go to Sacramento. So you just have to um, go with whatever Delta gives you and learn to enjoy it, even if it's not what you were expecting. Um, 
And then also learn to pray a lot for patience and grace when you see people get on and you just assume people should know certain things, but I just give them grace that maybe it's their first flight. Yeah. Talk about that with COVID-19, um, how things are different for you. I feel like Delta has done a really great job at figuring out how to adapt in this new environment. So Delta is the only airline right now that's keeping the middle seats blocked. So at least you won't be sitting right next to a stranger. Uh, Mask obviously have been required since the summer. They are letting us take the COVID test in our lounge. CVS is actually down in our lounge. You just make an appointment, schedule like 30 minutes out of your day. So I get tested every week. We do we do still do a service, but it's pre-packaged, a water and two snacks. So we don't have to stay in a row for very long. Just encouraging us to stay distant from everyone, encouraging passengers to keep their masks on reminding them to put their mask back on mm-hmm. over and over. <laughs> I feel that. Oh my gosh. Every day, put your mask oh, over your you. nose, put your mask over your nose, put your mask over your nose, except you do it much more politely. I'm certain with my students. I'm just like, just put, just cover your face. Please cover your face. Stop, <laughs> stop it. Stop eating Cheetos. This is not lunch. This is class. Thankfully my flights have been very short, so I haven't had to remind the same person over and over. And then I'll never see the person again, or you see them the next day, and they do the same thing. Hell's bells. Yeah. It's something else. It is, gosh, bless you for doing that, because that's, I mean, you don't know who you're coming into contact with, and how how they do things, or how they react to things. So that can be kind of intimidating, certainly. Speaking of, that reminded me, a lot of people don't realize with flight attendants, since there are 6,000 of us in Atlanta alone, I think only a, only a handful of times I've flown with the same person more than once. Every, every trip you're with a, a totally different crew, which is, oh my gosh, it can be kind of lonely because if you don't click with your crew, then you're on this three day trip by yourself basically. Cause you don't want to you know, spend more time than you have to with your coworkers. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I had no idea that every trip you'd be with somebody different. So it's, it can be really hard to build like a work community as a flight attendant, unless you mm-hmm. really put yourself out there, get to know like your manager and your base managers. Otherwise you could just, could be really lonely. So unfortunately Mental illness is a a big, like prominent in our industry, but Delta does a lot with promoting hotlines that you can call in and we always have Mm -hmm. flight attendants available 24 seven for you to call and talk to. Uh, So Delta does do a really good job trying to manage that and does realize how isolating this job can be sometimes. Those aren't things that you wouldn't think of. I mean, you think of like the the excitement of like, you know, going to pick up cheese and getting your face cream and grease. And, um, but yeah, that's interesting to know that, um, that that is something that is prominent in that, um, in that field, but then also it's encouraging to know that Delta does well in, um, adjusting and, and, and supporting their, 
staff. So then Audrey, last question, what would your encouragement be then to someone who maybe doesn't know what to do with their life or does think that flight being a flight attendant might be right up their alley? What would your encouragement or advice be to someone? There are a lot of really great articles out there that do break down, you know, what it's really like to be a flight attendant that I found are very accurate. There was a really big one on um, some big news network that interviewed a flight attendant. That was great to see what it's really like, you know, the day-to-day process, but also just doing research too on the particular airline, what their schedules are like, what their benefits are like. like I said, be prepared to have a lot of alone time and appreciate that and just being flexible because our schedules do change. I mean, delays with flights, diversions, weather, all those things. And also be patient because right now, who knows when we're going to be hiring again, unfortunately, with COVID. Yeah. But also to never give up because I've heard tons of stories of flight attendants that have applied three, four times and are now flying and absolutely loving it. Mm -hmm. And the first year of flying is tough because you get all those crappy trips that no one wants to fly because there's nobody under you, no seniority, you know, so you end up stuck with those trips. But now at five years, like I can actually fly trips that I want to fly. And the great thing is there's something for everyone because my friends do not want to fly those short all night trips that I do. Um, And then the red eye trips, like I would never fly a red eye, but people that's all they fly. So yeah, you find your niche and there's something for everyone. Yeah. So lots of different strong suits and it seems like it just can really suit different personalities really well. Yeah. This has been fascinating to think of, you know, class of 2007, Tumble High School, then moving off, backpacking, meeting your husband, and then becoming a flight attendant. This is just so cool, but this has just been fascinating and really cool, I think, for lots of people to hear, um, especially young girls who maybe are like you and I that started college with one career path and merged onto a different one. Yeah, totally different. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. So Audrey, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. I am so glad that you are here. Guys, catch us next time on The Bee Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Make certain to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Screenshot this episode and share to your social media to bring awareness to this project. Share and join our community on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.